Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, CEO of Lead at Any Level, Amy Wanninger. Hey, what you drinking? Uh, oh my! Yeah, I mean, I, there's just so there's so much in this. I I, I really want to move back into kind of the theme of this show, and it's really about the intersectionality between whiskey, jazz, and leadership, and is there a connection? Because for me, I have uh, put the three together because I like all three literally. I, I literally like whiskey. I literally like jazz. Uh, I literally like leadership, and I talk about it all the time. But I also love the metaphors that they represent and how they seem to connect in my head. And so I, I wanted to I wanted to throw this and, and and run this by you, because for me the metaphor of whiskey is doing what you enjoy with your crew, with the people who enjoy it with you regardless of how it might look to those who just don't get it because they're not part of your crew. So it's the social element of it, but it's the insulated social element of it is, is whiskey. Jazz is this, this metaphor of how do you get from where you are to where you need to be even in the absence of sheet music, even when things aren't spelled out. You still have to get to a certain place. You've got to get there on time, in key. And since we're talking about your life, you might as well make it sound good, right? You might as well make it fun. So that's the metaphor of jazz. And leadership, uh, for me, the metaphor is marketing is great, strategy is important, but at the end of the day, somebody's got to stand up and make a decision that we're gonna do this thing and we're gonna go left or we're gonna go right or we're gonna put this up to a vote or we're not gonna put this up to a vote. But someone has to say, we're making this thing happen or else we're all just gonna be sitting around talking about it. And my favorite coaching question with a client is either do it or stop talking about it. Which side are you gonna be on? So for me, those three things kind of fit together. Is there a connection between those three things for you in the work that you're doing, whiskey, jazz, and leadership? So I took that metaphor, I took those metaphors in a completely different direction, I got to tell you. And I'm not a big whiskey drinker, but I'm fascinated by people who drink whiskey, who really appreciate it, like, you know, people appreciate wine. And this probably comes from my upbringing, right? Because when when I was growing up, first of all, my parents are teetotalers, so alcohol was really just kind of a foreign thing in my household. But I've always, I've always, you know, there's something so sophisticated, right, about having having the knowledge of fine wine or fine whiskey. And of course, I grew up right near Kentucky, which is bourbon country. I would love to do a bourbon tour and, and actually learn how to appreciate these things. You know, I think about whiskey as being very strong, but very smooth, right? And leaders need to show strength, but they also have to kind of be slick, right? You can be strong, but you've got to be smooth about it. You have to let people buy into your ideas. You have to bring people along in a way that doesn't overpower them with your strength, right? So that you're palatable as a leader. So that's kind of how I was thinking about whiskey intersecting with leadership. And when I think about jazz, 
if you if I had to pick between jazz and blues, I'd I'd pick blues. I got to tell you, um, jazz confuses me, <sighs> but. <laughs> And, you know, and again, it's just, I'm just not, I'm just not sophisticated, Galen. I'm sorry. But from what I know of jazz, look, it's real free form. There's rules, but there's not a lot of structure. It's about knowing your part, knowing the strengths, your strengths and the strengths of the people around you and working in a way that lets everybody shine at the right moment so that everybody's contributing. And to me, that's what a good leader does, right? They look around the team and they say, okay, I'm really good at this, but Galen's really good at this and it's his time and we're going to give him the spotlight and we're going to let him play. And so all of that then goes into what I see as good leadership, which is doing the right thing, even when it's hard, even when it's not popular, you do what's right. You got it. You, you you got it. I mean, there that I mean, everything that you just shared, I can absolutely reference times when I've had to do that. And I'm sure you've had to do that in, in the spaces that you're in. And uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's it's about knowing the talents of the people that um, you're in this in this foxhole with and allowing people to shine at the right time. You know, one of the things that um, I do know about you, though, is that you're a big fan of Prince. And Prince is one of those people who he he doesn't seem to be defined very well by any one genre. I mean, yeah, you can say he's a rock. He's in the rock category because he's got some pretty hard driving guitar. Right. You could say he's in the pop category because there were some pretty big hits that everyone was singing at some point in time, but he's got a couple of really, really nice albums that he did with Miles Davis, which is by far and away jazz. And uh, I'm going to throw a nod to my good friend, Mr. Uh, Mr. Barnes out there who reminded me of Madhouse. Madhouse was a full on jazz, jazz album. And he made two of them full on jazz. And they might be two of my favorite jazz albums. So he was really not defined very well by any one genre. So I think that kind of counts as that kind of counts as this metaphor of jazz of of just kind of doing your thing and letting the world try to define you. Again, wouldn't expect that a girl from Santa Claus, Indiana would be into Prince. How does how does that happen? How does that fit into the into the pot? You know, I don't really know how that started, um, but I can tell you, I, I was forever scarred because in fifth grade at a slumber party, somebody had a VHS copy of Purple Rain. I was so just mortified that this existed, right? Because I came from this world where like everything was very cut and dried. And here's this man who I get it now, right? I, I understand race and the construct of, of Prince and Prince and the construct of race, but he was he sort of transcended race in terms of his, his following, right. His, I mean, he was just, he was so universal. He was kind of gender bending, right. So he was not, I mean, and especially in the eighties where it was like, okay, men look like this and women look like this unless they work. And then they wear shoulder pads. So they look like men. And, you know, and it was just like, he, he defied, he transcended genre, genre, he transcended gender. He was like otherworldly to me. And at first it kind of scared me because here I am 11 years old. I've never seen anything like this, 
And then I was like, okay, I kind of like that. And it was just like the more, the more exposure I had to his music and, you know, the fashion. And then of course, you know, then MTV was a thing. And then, you know, it was like, he just existed at the perfect time to be him. Right. Because he had the fashion piece and the music piece and the, the video was so on point. And it was like all these things converged for him to be the star at that moment. And he was so prolific. And I think about, you know, especially his earlier albums where he recorded every instrument. So every track he had to play guitar, bass, keys, drums, vocals. He did all the production, all the mixing, all the everything. And you think about that, especially in those early days, how much he had to record and produce. And it's more than I could really listen to in my lifetime if I tried. And he didn't live to be that old, sadly. I mean, I still, there are still days when a Sheila E song will come on the radio and I'll just start crying because I can't believe this genius is gone. Because there's nothing you can listen to from the 80s that doesn't have his fingerprints on it. There's just nothing. And I, I know that he was influenced by Little Richard and George Clinton and James Bradley. I get all of that. But he was just so prolific and productive. And not just with his music, but with his collaborations and the way he invested in and mentored young people and, you know, and especially lifted up women. And I'm sure that there were a lot of uh, improper personal reasons for those investments. (laughs) But, you know, there there were women who had amazing careers because he collaborated with them and endorsed them and, you know, sent them out on tour. You know, he was just everywhere. He was everywhere and did so much like one night alone where he's on on the piano for an album. I mean, just, just incredible, just so much talent. And he did so much good with his talent. And I I even heard a Tavis Smiley interview after, after Prince's death uh, where Tavis said, you know, he would come, he would go like, he'd say, let's do a show in Chicago and the only reason they were doing a show in Chicago was so they could do a whole bunch of political organizing. And the show was kind of the cover for why he was there, but they were really doing like all of this community work. But he kind of used his, you know, his presence to sort of drive some of this stuff. So he was just, he was just phenomenal, just a phenomenal talent. Sorry, I'll shut up. <laughs> oh, I mean, no, I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right. He, he's absolutely one of my, one of my favorites. You know, he is a member of my invisible board of directors. And every year I pick someone to be the chair of the board. And he's been vying for the chair of the board for my invisible board directors for many years. So I don't know, this year this year coming up, Prince. Oh, there might be a vote. Not not so sure. It might be his year. He keeps vying for it. But speaking of invisible board of directors, again, not expecting you to pair Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. With Fred Rogers? Yeah, so I've got a long list and I'm I'm currently in the process of doing a lot of research and reading, but here's kind of where I go with my invisible board of directors. So I had a coach ask me, who do you admire? List the people that you admire. Prince was on the list. Prince, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Fred Rogers, Martin Luther King, Ida B. Wells. Um, who else did I have on there? Dolly Parton. Uh, Barack and Michelle Obama individually and collectively. And then she said, okay, once you've got this list, I want you to write what you admire about them. What are the things that, that draw you to them? 
And so for Prince, it was creativity and just how absolutely prolific he was. For Lin-Manuel, it's his joy and also his productivity. Like there's a there's a whole work ethic theme going on here. I am from the Midwest. And then, you know, Fred Rogers just led with love. Every single thing he did, he wasn't in a hurry. He took the time to love the people in front of him always. Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision, his courage, his ability to inspire. I mean, it made him the most hated man in America. It led to his murder, but he just kept going because he believed in something that was so much bigger than himself. And so when I when I take all these people, right, and what I admire about them, so this is what this coach told me, you should write down all these things that you admire. So things like courage, things like productivity, things like joy, things like creativity, investing in others is huge for me, right? We talked about that a minute ago. And she said, those are your standards of integrity. When you admire it in someone else, that's who you aspire to be. That's who you are at your core, who you think you should be at your core. Those are your standards of integrity. And if you can see them in somebody else, they have to exist in you. And so when I wrote all these things down, I was instructed to write, these are my standards of integrity. I know they're mine because I see them in others. And I strive to be hardworking. I strive to invest in others. I strive to lead with love. I try strive to have courage. And those are the things that are important to me. Wow. I would suspect that those things become very, very apparent in the work that you do. Uh, because, I mean, even the name of your company, Lead at, Lead at Any Level, suggests that, as I believe, leadership is not tied to a particular title. And I have been on this campaign to define leadership as it relates to courage, because it takes courage to know what to do and to do it. You know, and many people know what to do. Uh, and I, I contend that all of my clients, all of my executive coaching clients, they know what to do. I, I very seldom have to tell any of my clients what to do. The work, my work is helping them to define what it is that they know and then having, helping them to find the courage to do what they, what they already know that they need to do. How challenging is it for you to call your clients into those those elements of integrity, those standards of integrity that you just mentioned? Well, you know, I think, first of all, your clients are so lucky to have you. Holding them accountable to their own best selves, that's important. And we all need that. We all need people who call us to be who we desire to be, who we truly want to be. And so they're so lucky in that. And I think for me, you know, I worry, if I if I worry about anything, it's about unintentional damage, right? Not saying the right thing at the right time, not going far enough, going too far. And the more I do, the more scared I get, or the more I do, the more uncomfortable I get, right? I was, I was telling an audience this today, I was working with a, a diversity committee and I see you know, the, the great thing about this work is everything else you do, the more you practice, the more confident you'll be. In this work, the more you practice, the more uncomfortable you'll be. And you have to lean into that and just know you're going to screw it up. You're going to make mistakes. Tomorrow you'll do a little bit better and you'll make different mistakes. And I know that that's part of this work. Um, I do a lot of teaching on inclusive leadership. And I, I talk a lot about just the skills that people need to be inclusive leaders. My, my leadership philosophy, Galen, by the way, is 
leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. This is not a positional thing. This is something that you decide you are and other people decide if you are, regardless of your title. Some of the best leaders I've ever had worked for me and taught me better ways of being. You know, I think when we show up in ways that we're we're responsive to change, but we're not reactive to it, when we're able to give and receive feedback effectively, when we are building relationships across difference and truly learning from others and their perspectives, when we're pulling out what's best in other people, that's what makes us leaders. Not a management title, not a director title, not a promotion. And, you know, one of the the questions that I ask people when they ask me what I do, I say, well, how do you turn a high potential employee into an inclusive, effective leader? How do you do that? What most companies do or what they try to do is change their job title, give them a 10% pay raise, assign them some direct reports, and hope for the best. And that's not how we make inclusive leaders out of high potential employees. We have to give them the skills that they need to navigate a world that is constantly changing with people who are constantly changing with skills that are constantly evolving and customer demands that are shifting all the time. Oh my gosh. I am so glad that you are in the space that you're in because we we seem to be approaching some of the same challenges, but from different vantage points, using different experiences and different skill sets. And, 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 and that's, that's the beauty of this. Uh, You know, one of the things that I really try to keep front and center is that, you know, the tagline of my company, uh, the name of my company is Kill Global Coaching and Consulting, but the the tagline of my company is uh, to help leaders bake success into their work and life. And by baking success, that doesn't mean that once you find the answer, let's make that the permanent answer. It's really about baking in the confidence that you can stand in the gap of uncertainty and help other people across. You have what you need in order to be a leader. You just have to lead. You just have to stand in that gap, be uncomfortable, and help people get from where they are to where they need to be. And the work that you're doing seems to be in helping them to understand that at a very, very tangible level in situations where the reason they don't have the answer is because there aren't any answers. <laughs> We're creating the answers as we go. And that, again, that that is jazz. That is what Prince did. We're creating the foundation that this organization, that these people, that this company, that this nonprofit group, we're creating the foundation that they're all going to stand on. And that's the job of a leader. How trying is that from time to time? How How complicated is that from time to time? Oh my gosh. It's wonderful. It's wonderfully complex, right? Because people are complex. And when you have two people, it's twice the complexity. And when you have three people, it's, you know, 10 times. I mean, because everybody comes at things from different places. And that's why I think when we have more voices at the table, when we have more perspectives, we're able to get to better answers sooner because everybody says, you know what? I don't have experience with this and I don't know. And then somebody says, well, I saw something like this. I read a book about it. It happened at my last job. My cousin-in-law knows somebody who knows somebody that this happened to, right? There's there's all these different inputs that you get when you have people who break the mold in whatever group you're in. 
that they come from somewhere different. They they've experienced different things. They're prioritizing values just a little bit differently, right? They're judging on different criteria and it opens you up to different possibilities. And one of the things, Galen, that you, you talked about, about standing in the gap, I think this is so important for people to understand. Experts don't know everything. You don't pay an expert to know everything. You pay an expert because what they don't know, they'll go find out. And back to your point, right? It's I always think about that, that uh, I don't know the right word. It's like a proverb or, you know, saying about birds aren't confident because of the strength of the branch. Birds are confident because they're of their ability to fly. And when you release this notion that you have to know everything to be an expert and you realize instead that you can learn anything, that's what makes you an expert, especially in an economy where knowledge is free. And it's not our ability to know things that makes us valuable. It's our ability to go learn and make connections. Wow. Fantastic. This has been an amazing, amazing conversation. And now I remember why I enjoyed our brief interaction so much. And it's the exact same reason why I felt the exact same way about Susan Linder, who was also on Whiskey Jazz and Leadership. I mean, if you're listening to this, you need to double back. After listening to this, double back and check out my conversation with Susan, because you're gonna see so many similarities in just the way Susan and the way you, Amy, just have this confidence in your ability to be okay in the midst of sticky situations. And I, I like the way you described it, or at least the way that I understood that you described it, that you expect to be uncomfortable. <laughs> because if you're not uncomfortable, that means that you're probably not digging deep enough. But you're okay with that because you know you're gonna be okay in the midst of it. There's nothing going to happen if we are uncomfortable in situations. As a matter of fact, it, it's, it's almost analogous to uh, when, I, when I played sports, you know, I played soccer, I played football, and the coach would always say, don't try to brace the fall. Because when you try to brace the fall, that's when you break your arm, that's when you break your leg, that's when you twist your knee, just fall. <laughs> You're gonna be okay, just fall. And uh, it seems like we as a society, and we, we started talking about this at the top of this conversation, we as a society, we seem to be uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. We would rather do anything other than be uncomfortable. And I think that that's what's causing the problems that we're having now. What final thoughts do you have for the listeners, because you're you're square in the space of having uncomfortable conversations. I mean, you can't get more uncomfortable than diversity right now. What last and final thoughts do you have for helping my leaders get comf get comfortable with being uncomfortable? Yeah, so I'll tell you what I tell my audiences. All of our biases, all of our preferences come from four things. They come from the identities that we formed since birth or even since before birth, that were formed for us. They come from the experiences that we've had along the way, the values that we adopted from our families and our communities and our society, and the judgments that we make about others, about whether they share our identities, values, and experiences. And anytime you're in a position where you're uncomfortable, and honestly, we should do it when we're comfortable too, because it would save us a lot of trouble. Marketers know how to make us comfortable and how to tap into all of that 
so that we don't question our decisions. So just remember that. But whenever you're in a situation where you're encountering something new or you're meeting someone new and you think, wow, there's just something about them that I don't trust or that I don't like. Remember, it's not usually something between you and them. It's something between your left ear and your right ear. And go back and think about what are the experiences that this is reminding me of? What are the judgments I'm making based on those experiences? What are the values I'm prioritizing? And what identities am I protecting? And if you can do that, if you can interrupt your biases long enough to think about what happened, how am I feeling, am I judging or do I feel judged? And then you take that back to the values and the identities that you're protecting, you're going to do a whole lot of internal work before you respond inappropriately. And you're going to understand yourself better and you're going to be more prepared next time. Oh my gosh. I love having brilliant friends. Oh my gosh. I just love having brilliant friends. If you've got a few more minutes, I, I've got to, I've got to expose you to my VIPs uh, and let my VIPs just kind of get more of this brilliance because you, you just open more doors and ask more questions that I, I really would like for you to dig into more. So if you get, do you have a few more minutes? Cause I got to bring you to the VIP room. Sure thing. All right. I'd love it. Well, hey, well, let's, let's do that. Well, hey, uh, for this conversation, though, raise your glass, raise your fat tire, which is an incredibly fine beer, by the way. That's, I mean, that reminds me of grad school. Fat tire, that was my fat tire in Blue Moon. Great beers. Oh, my gosh. But raise your fat tire. And I, I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing, the experiences that have gone into the work that you're doing. But more important, I, I want to thank you for being okay and being comfortable, being uncomfortable, and allowing people to feel like you're going to take care of them when you are uh, leading an audience discussion, when you are doing a breakout, when you're talking with a senior leadership team, because that's where the real work happens. And uh, I am so glad that you're doing the work that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.